This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Congressman David Young, representing Iowa's 3rd District and a member of the House Appropriations Committee. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Global Harvest Initiative, a private sector policy voice that is forging solutions to feed the world. Together with its member companies and consultant partners from the conservation, international development, and university sectors, GHI is advancing key policies and practices that will help provide the food, feed, fiber, and fuel we need as our global population rises to 9.7 billion in the coming years. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Iowa Congressman David Young next. The Global Harvest Initiative's 2015 GAP Report, Building Sustainable Bread Baskets, showcases the vital role of U.S. agriculture in providing domestic and global food security. The GAP Report provides a special focus on the productivity of U.S. farmers and ranchers and the legacy of our conservation agriculture system. We must continue to grow solutions that conserve natural resources, adapt to consumer needs, and improve the economic vitality of producers and rural communities. The GAP Report also shines a spotlight on Zambia, a country that is diversifying its agriculture production systems to build its capacity as a regional breadbasket in southern Africa. With the right policies, innovations and practices, we can improve productivity, waste less, and conserve our precious resources here at home and around the world. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. After weeks of intense negotiations, Congress was able to conclude work on both taxes and spending. Iowa Congressman Dave Young says despite a renewed effort toward general order, congressional leaders still had to resort to an omnibus spending package to conclude its work this year. Well, you know, it's not the, the process is pretty rotten. This is not the way that we like to do business, and it's not the way the American people like to do it either. I mean, I'm on the Appropriations Committee, and, you know, we did all 12 bills through committee, regular order, got them out of committee, got them to the floor. We got through half of them. In the Senate, as you know, they have a 60-vote rule to try to, you know, to proceed to a piece of legislation. And so we, we didn't get our job done. And so here we are with a, an omnibus appropriations bill, over 2,000 pages, and you really got to search through this thing to see what's in it and what's not in it. And I think most of the complaints are what was not in the bill. Uh, there are some good things in here, uh, some things that that were good for agriculture, uh, some things that weren't in it that I wish were. But, you know, they say yeah, it's two things you don't want to see made, right? Legislation and sausage. And so this is what we got. Um, but hopefully we can hit the reset button here with a new speaker and new um, you know, regular order. The speaker kind of inherited this mess. Uh, we all did, and we want to do some regular order. And we got some a tax bill done as well. Uh, we want to do some broader tax reform and simplification, but we got some things in this tax extenders package that are really good for agriculture, actually. Are there any clear winners and any clear losers? Well, you know, there's a little bit of win-loss in everybody's column here. You know, for agriculture, you know, we have Waters of the USA that's out there. We didn't get that fully defunded for the year, but we were able to retain some language uh, to keep EPA off the farm from regulating uh, ponds and, uh, and ditches, that kind of thing. We uh, didn't get GM, the GMO labeling issue straightened out here, but we got cool you know, country of origin labeling repealed, and and that and that was good. And so you look at any kind of uh, you know you know industry, some wins and losses, uh, some things that were not in there that everybody's talking about, and that's national security. Uh, we didn't get some things in there regarding 
um, putting a pause on our refugee program to vet out um, some, some of the Syria folks from Syria in, in Iraq. But we did get uh, a program in there regarding reforming and strengthening our visa waiver program. So a little bit of win and loss um, across the spectrum. The tax package is worth a little over $600 billion, as I understand, that goes straight to the deficit. Was it worth it? Well, it's a win-loss, too. In some areas, it is, and I'll tell you why. Such as the research and development tax credit. Uh, that was made permanent. For so long, that had just been a one- and two-year kind of patchwork tax provision. Now we have some certainty there. With that certainty, you're going to be creating more products and jobs, and with that, you'll be t- creating more tax revenue. Hopefully, when that comes in, though, we, you can drive down the deficit with that. In agriculture, Section 179, business expensing for small businesses, but very important to agriculture, that was finally made permanent, and that's a huge deal. So that that's a big win. But what we really need to do is we need to take up what the Speaker wants to do and what our GOP conference wants to do, and a lot of Democrats as well. I think this is bipartisan. Comprehensive tax reform. Now, the word reform can scare the you-know-what out of a lot of people, reform. Uh, I'd like to use the term simplification and certainty. We have the highest corporate tax rate in the world. We want to bring it down. And with that, you're going to have to give up a lot of these incentives and credits out there that a lot of businesses are using. Renewables got a a victory in here, in a way. Uh, Solar and wind, um, they got a five-year extension for certainty, but they're phasing it out. And that's they came to the table and said, you know, we can get off of this, uh, but we need a five-year certain phase out and we're done. And that and that's good. Exhaustive tax reform. How soon could it come? Well, I think with our new speaker, who is a real kind of tax wonk, Paul Ryan, you know, he's a former staffer. And then our new chairman at the Ways and Means Committee, Brady out of Texas, I think they want to hit this right away. And I'm hoping to see something come to the floor by the end of spring. Now, it is a political year, right? Everybody's up for re-election, and then you have still, what, five people over in the Senate running for president. And that can complicate things as well at times. But you know what? Whether it gets to the president's desk or not, or is signed into law or vetoed, I think it's important that we listen to the American people, and they're talking about the economic strains and taxes and the, uh, the certainty or lack thereof of it, and that we need to just do our job, see where it goes, because we can't just keep talking about it and kicking the can down the road. People don't like that. That's why people are frustrated, and they're just an arms away from their pitchfork. Is it time to think about a two-year budget? I mean, this is a struggle every year, and you've wound up, even with the effort that was put in, still wound up with an omnibus. I think it's a great time to think about that. And on both sides of the aisle, folks have been talking about that. The two-year budget gives you really a, a big number for a big two-year span. Now, that can be divided over two years. I think it's still important to do your annual appropriations because between one year or another, or even one month and another sometimes, the priorities change uh, with the country. And right now, the priorities are national security and our military. Uh, it's good to have that two-year top number, but still do the annual oversight and appropriations. You can still do that every year. But the I think a two-year budget would be would be great. It would uh, take away a lot of partisanship, I think, annually when we do do a budget. Section 179, as you mentioned, was made permanent. That's certainly of interest for agriculture. Also, bonus depreciation through 2019. How are the two of these right for agriculture and certainly right for small business? 
Well, it just gives them certainty again. You know, we passed permanent extension of 179 back in February, and we wanted to move that right along because we're, we're just so tired of at the end of the year doing this stuff, and it's almost like we're doing it retroactively sometimes. But it just gives planning uh, for farmers, for small business in the out years. You just you know what the rules are. When you know what the rules are, you can do some better investing uh, in your business and. When you invest in your business, you're investing in the economy, really. And a lot of people are just sitting on the sidelines with capital, uh, entrepreneurs, and they want to expand their business. But if you don't know this, the rules one or two years out even, now it's permanent. Now we can really get some folks playing in the economy and uh, strengthen the economy. And uh, it strengthens agriculture, in my opinion. And, and the strength of Iowa, Iowa's economy, is because of agriculture. Now, we've seen that income is going to be down about 38%, and that hurts, but this certainty can be helpful in a way. Not, going to, not that it's going to offset that income being down, but it can help. The biodiesel tax credit, a dollar a gallon, but only extended through 2016. Does that leave that ripe for loss? Well, it would be nice if that was made a little more permanent, or at least uh, put it in a long term, kind of like the wind and the and the solar, because what we want... We want a diverse energy portfolio, and we think that sometimes uh, some industries need a little little help in getting there, but then they have to wean themselves off of it, kind of like we're doing with solar and wind. Uh, we've seen some just great things happening with biofuels, uh, and the R&D tax credit can, can help with that as well. You know, you talk about the whole thing about renewables. What's disappointing, though, is what the EPA did earlier this year by not giving us the numbers that we wanted, that we were set into law in 2007. So we're trying to work with the EPA. It's very frustrating, whether it's them trying to, to skim back on the RFS numbers or regulating dust or trying to... Uh, do what they did with the waters of the USA. I'm very critical of the EPA, uh, but at the same time, I'm trying to educate them and work with them uh, because that's just what we do in Iowa. If you're pro-renewable fuels, you look at the headlines and you see concern about climate change and you see the new buzzword of sustainability that we're pushing, certainly agriculture, to produce more with less. But if I look at our policy on renewable fuels, again, the soy biodiesel tax credit only for a year, and then if you look at the renewable fuel standard, the volume obligation as proposed by the EPA is less than the statute that was proposed and was signed into law. We say one thing, but it appears that we do another if you come from that camp. We definitely got a lot of educating to do with this administration. This administration talks a big game on being committed to renewables and clean energy, but they don't back it up. You look at what's going on in Congress, you have a, a big delegation, a lot of committee chairmanship are from oil-producing states, and they drive a lot of this policy in Congress as well and influence with the administration. And So we know that we're not going to be 100% dependent on renewable fuels for all of our energy needs, but they certainly can be at the table. You know, oil is at the table, and they've been given some great preferential treatment through the tax code for many, many, many years. So I'm going to keep defending what we're doing in Iowa. It's not only because it's good for the environment, but it's good for our economy and national security as well. So we have a lot of work to do. And when we're having these presidential candidates come through Iowa, uh, one of the first questions is, where are you on the renewable fuel standard? It's very important to us. What are your thoughts about crude exports? Well, I think it was great that we lifted the ban. Uh, I, I do. 
what does that say? I mean, back in 1979, we had some real issues. One, you had the, the politics with the Middle Middle East. Uh, two, we didn't have that much of a supply here where we could be exporting. But now look what's happening. So that can be a broader part of our energy independency here. But also, if we can help export that, my gosh, we got I don't know how many millions of gallons or billions of gallons just waiting to go because we can export those now. We can sell them. And what will that do to the sheiks in the Middle East and OPEC? I mean, this, it's a great experiment here on the world market, but it's going to be great for our economy here. As you mentioned in the top of the interview, the WOTUS rider was not a part of the language. Do you expect a legislative effort toward the EPA and WOTUS, or is that now left to the courtroom? I tell you, we've done so much legislatively, both in the House and the Senate, to try to get rid of this. The president is, and some on the other side are just adamant about this going through the waters of the USA rule. I think our biggest ally right now is going to be with the courts. And the way that they got here, the EPA, was not on the up and up. I don't know if you saw Monday, December 14th, the Government Accountability Office, they came out with a report that said that the EPA broke the law in promoting the waters of the USA rule. And the EPA had to show you know, some positive comments and popularity with this waters of the USA rule. But they had to lie to do it, and they had to break the law to do it. They had to create a social media campaign, Jeff, created on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, trying to get comments in of support. You know, this is basically what they did. I'm paraphrasing here, but basically they sent out messages on social media saying, I support clean water for me and my family. Don't you? If so, send a message here. You know, well, who's going to be against that? We all want clean water and clean air. Uh, but we busted them, and it was covert propaganda. You know, in this omnibus appropriations bill, we held the line on EPA funding. It's still at its levels since 2010, and we have not allowed their staffing to increase. We took it back to 1989 staffing levels, but we couldn't get a one-year full defunding of waters of the USA. But the courts are really going to be where we need to watch this. Agriculture, the food industry, lobbying hard for a GM food labeling proposal. It wasn't a part of the language. Do you see an effort on that at the beginning of 16? I sure hope so. The Senate needs to act on it. We acted on it in the House. Um, and I'm for the, the national voluntary standard out there for GMO because we need to have one unified standard if there's going to be one. Because if you go state to state, it's going to be very, very confusing. And who knows what kind of labeling they can use. I mean, they could put a skull and crossbones, you know, in some state on some of our perfectly healthy foods. You know, the FDA, the Department of Agriculture, says this is fine. It's healthy. It's nutritional. Um, so you have to have uniform standards for the same message. Uh, and two, if you don't, it's going to create an amazingly complex um you know, pricing, it's going to be more expensive as well. And so I think we need to make sure that we put the pressure on the Senate because the House has done their thing uh, to move this forward. Uh, look at 2016 and your crystal ball, if you will. What are the what are the threats that could come to agriculture in rural America? Or are there real opportunities that can come through Washington for the industry? Well, you know, the threats I see sometimes are either government inaction or government action. Um Government action, waters of the USA. 97% of Iowa could be regulated. Can you imagine if you had to file with the EPA to tile your lands? I mean, 
think about how long it takes uh, to get answers back from the government. Uh, it could take six weeks. It could take six months. And then what would happen? You would have a growing season over. What would that do to land prices, the scarcity of commodities and the prices therein? Good intentions by the government many times for what they're trying to do, but my gosh, the implications and the real world things that happen because of it are pretty dismal at times. Recurring threats for crop insurance? We have to watch that very carefully. We had a budget deal in November, two-year budget deal. They opened up the farm bill, which they said they weren't going to do, and they snuck a $3 billion steal from crop insurance out of the farm bill. That is big bad news. Uh, I introduced a bill right away to restore the crop insurance. We got 35 co-sponsors on it. We pressured uh, the leaders of the House and the Senate to reinsert it back. So we got it reinserted back in the transportation bill. So we got that back in there. But if the threat happens once, it can happen again. And we really have to be adamant and watch what's happening here. The majority leader in the Senate has suggested that it would not be wise to bring up the Trans-Pacific Partnership vote until late in the year, perhaps the lame duck session. Your thoughts on the TPP text? Well, it's a pretty big text. That's for, that's for sure. Just imagine 12 countries trying to negotiate a trade deal. It's tough enough to try to get two countries here and there. Um, I think the politics could overwhelm this debate and this dialogue. People do need to digest this and read this. It's a multi-thousand page agreement. If and when we do pass it, we also have to remember that just because we would vote to pass it in the Congress, you got 11 other countries as well that have to pass it as well. So it's not going to happen so immediately. But from what I've seen, it's good for agriculture. And I'm hearing from a lot of the, you know, the livestock and commodity groups and folks. And I want to listen to Iowans. And just like any other member, they want to pour through it. And they want to hear back from the people, too. Congressman Young, we want to thank you for taking time not only in a busy congressional week, but also in a holiday season uh, for spending time with us. The title of the program is Open Mic. And, sir, you have the last word. Well, my last word doesn't really have anything to do with agriculture, but it has to do with accountability uh, of federal officials, those who represent the people. You know, the people have a big, big job to do, and that is picking people to represent them in Congress. Uh, it's a two-way street. For, for myself, I go home every weekend, and I have 16 counties in this third district in Iowa, and I visit each county every month. And people should demand that they see and have access to the, the people that represent them, whether it's Congress, whether it's on the city council, the county commission, or, or where have you, or in your state legislature. Um, that relationship and that accountability is going to strengthen our system of government. And also, we talk a lot about people who serve, their names, and the, whether it's a speakership or majority leader. Uh, no one person is bigger than the job that is held for them. The strength of our republic and our self-government is just that. Men will come and men will go, uh, but the strength of our government is the structure itself um, and, the, and the will of the people and the free government. Our thanks to Iowa 3rd District Representative David Young, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Global Harvest Initiative, a private sector policy voice that is forging solutions to feed the world. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.